0: everybody, Rachel Varga here, the beauty side of Beauty and the Biohacker, and I warmly invite you to check out working with Katie and I. You can go to beautyandthebiohacker.com where you can find our book one-on-one links with either Katie and I. Katie can help you with optimizing your sleep through biohacking modalities, and I can help you with optimizing your at-home and in-clinic skin and rejuvenation journey with skincare, biohacking, dermal rolling, and all of that cool stuff. Stuff. Be sure to also check out our favorites page where you can find our shortlist of our top biohacking and supplement picks to help you slow your aging on a cellular level. And be sure to use those affiliate links to continue to support the show here and use the promo codes to save yourself some money. Enjoy today's episode.
1: Welcome. To another episode of Beauty and the Biohacker, where we explore the latest tools and trends in self care, aesthetics, and peak performance to help you live your most beautiful life from the inside out. I am your co host, Katie Moore, the biohacking side of Beauty and the Biohacker. I've got three years of experience self experimenting in the space of health and wellness technology. And my mission is to help you achieve success without sacrificing your health or happiness. I do so on my YouTube channel, Katie Type A.
0: And I am the beauty side of Beauty and the Biohacker. Welcome, if this is your first time tuning in. My name is Rachel. I'm a board certified aesthetic nurse specialist with nearly 20,000 procedures under my belt and over 10 years in the industry of aesthetics and rejuvenation. I love helping people look good and feel good using the latest and greatest clinic-backed technology available today. But I also love helping people figure out what they could do at home and in clinic through virtual consultations available at rachelbarga.ca. And in today's episode, we welcome our very special guest,
1: Landra Bickley. Iliopolis. Now, she is a UCLA-trained mindfulness facilitator, people, and leadership consultant. She's passionate about developing people through mindfulness practices, helping them learn to manage stress in a skillful way, adopt a growth mindset, which is something we all could use these days, build emotional intelligence and cultivate resilience. Now Landra blends 20 years and more of leadership experience from top companies like Target, Lululemon and One Medical. With 15 years of direct experience with embodiment practices like yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and somatic experiencing. And we will get into all of those in just a moment. She's also the founder of Mindful HR, where she leads mindfulness programs, leadership coaching, and people development. So, welcome to the show, Landra. We are so excited to have you.
2: Thank you. I'm really excited to be here with you both.
1: So this is such a unique time uh, at the end of the year, as we start to think about New Year's resolutions, as we really start to kind of turn within and think and reflect on the year past, and there have been a lot of crazy changes for so many of us. So. I know that for me, diving into a more meditation, you know, and mindfulness practice has been helpful in guiding me through this time. And I am just so curious if, you know, you could kind of walk us through your first experience with meditation and what was your particular impetus for starting?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I actually have to take a step back and kind of talk about my entry point through to meditation was actually through the door of yoga. Um, I was somebody that you know, you mentioned my bio, I've been in HR for a long time, kind of just who I am for my friends and my family is give, give, give. And I was starting to hit a point of burnout, and realizing I wasn't taking care of myself. And a lot of that kind of stress, I was living a lot in like, my head more so than in my body. And so in a yoga practice, there's usually a little bit of time at the beginning. And then at the end to kind of drop in and to be in more of that meditative state. And the more that I I started paying attention to that, I was like, wow, I actually feel more calm, like, oh, there's something happening here. And so it was probably about a good 10 years into my yoga practice that I actually then got interested in curious in meditation and started literally just finding, you know, meditations online, you know, finding, um, things through, um, you know, different recordings, different people that were leading. And so, yeah, and, and when I, you know, it was hard, it's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, over time, um, I started doing uh, teacher training and yoga. And then again, I was like, I really want to learn more about mindfulness and really didn't have the intention of teaching. It was just kind of more for myself. And um, through all that I learned and that I was really realizing like there's a big benefit here. Um, Really, you know, all the things you had mentioned in my bio, right? Being able to cultivate resiliency, realizing to that oh, I actually can, you know, be able to respond versus be in reaction all the time. You know, taking that pause to kind of come back home and kind of gather myself back in my body and not live in my head quite as much. And um, yeah, so that's really kind of what, what brought me to the
0: practice of meditation. I love how you said moving away from just being in the headspace and becoming more embodied and i think i have a really cool question for you landra but what i will share through my you know 10 years of working with clients helping them get the skin that they want using various in clinic and at home options like lasers you know different peels injectables other non surgical and sometimes uh, surgical options so there's a subset of clients i work with that are extremely vibrant and they definitely do have a type of meditation, spiritual practice. This is a non-negotiable in the clients that I work with that really have that, you know, je ne sais quoi. they have, they go, they walk into a room and you're like, what do they have? I want to get me some of that, right? That's what yeah. I like to call radiance. And that's, that's really actually my true reason why I think I'm here is to kind of unpack that. So I'm curious, Landra, what inspired you to transition from practicing meditation to teaching it? And, you know, really, was there a particular teacher or transformative moment that helped to facilitate this shift in your work?
2: Yeah, there are are a couple things. Um, First and foremost, my meditation teacher, um, my primary teacher is Jill Satterfield. Um, and she's based right now in Berkeley, but had um, been living in New York for many years. Um, I was lucky enough to find her just when she transitioned out west. Um, yeah, and I really think it was you know the embodiment piece. It's not just the meditation, it's in the movement, realizing that mindfulness can be more than the meditation and kind of a way of being. Um, and I had a really small group. I was really lucky. I think there was nine of us that went through the training. so a lot of time practice teaching. You know, a lot of, um, you know, feedback in the moment and and realizing, I think, why I teach. It actually keeps me in, keeps me honest and in my practice. This is something that if I don't practice, I don't think it makes me that great of a teacher. I think people can kind of sense, you know, and kind of either connect with it or not. So that was one thing that kind of why I like to do it. And then the other thing at the same time, I was still working um, actually in a healthcare technology company. And people knew that was who I was, you know, actually, sometimes I would teach meditation, um, when the opportunity arose. Um, and there was one particular moment where uh, we were actually going through some layoffs. And, you know, I had to deliver some tough news and be with some people. And one of the women, um, when I was meeting her in, with her individually, she said, you know, I know that you do the meditation stuff, I'm really overwhelmed. Can you just help me right now? Can we breathe? And that to me was like, wow, there's a value here in bringing this into the workplace. And I think the other kind of part of my story too was being able to fully integrate who I was and who I am, both, you know, when I'm not at work technically, right? And then just like being able to bring my full self to work. Um, So yeah, I think both of those moments just really, and I have chills as actually as I'm saying it right now that really
0: I love that. It's pretty cool moving from practitioner to teacher. And I've gone through that as well. And sometimes when you get to the point where you should be teaching stuff, it's almost like people come to you and they're like, I want you to teach me this, this, this. And you kind of can have that imposter syndrome It's like, Oh, am I really ready? It's like, yeah, I I felt ready. I def- definitely did. And I was just curious if, if you kind of felt that as well It's like, it was just the natural progression in your practice.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's exactly what you said. It, it was a natural progression. I was ready for it. People were kind of calling me to it even kind of before I felt like I was ready. So those moments that I, I really have to, and usually what brings you into imposter syndrome, at least that I experienced, it's we get up here, mm-hmm. right? We're not- Got to get more in the heart space like you in. said, in body. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So recognizing that and then doing something about it. Yeah.
1: I love what you said about bringing your meditation practice into the corporate workplace. And so truth be told, I came from a corporate background. My fiance works for a corporate company and that's actually how we connected initially. And there is, you know, for a while there was this, you know, drive to just succeed and work tirelessly. And managers are not given the kind of training that you might need to be able to deal with really difficult situations. You know, people don't just come in and they're not robots, right? Like they have families and backgrounds and, you know, there's family emergencies. How do you unpack all of that as a manager, as somebody who comes in and needs to show up for work every day. So I commend you for the, you know, brainstorm of an idea to bring mindfulness and make it accessible into the workplace. And I know that is really the platform of Mindful HR. So can you kind of walk us through what your company does and how, you know, how far are you able to reach people, especially given the circumstances of, uh, you know, the pandemic these days?
2: hmm Yeah, yeah. So Mindful HR, um, I started it um, as a way to kind of bring in my own consulting. Um, and HR is quite broad. And what I was recognizing, I've done so many things, but really recognizing where I get the most out of it is really the development of others. Um, so i wanted to spend my career doing more of that um and yeah so whether it be leadership development whether it be designing manager training um whoever typically you know i and it's it's great being clear about who i'm interested in working with but the people that tend to find me tend to really be companies that are more people focused they're not like oh well i guess we need to have hr so i guess we'll call you know they're like no we really want to do right by our people, um, and we need to give them tools. Um, so that's how it started. And then you know, as I progressed into more teaching mindfulness and meditation, I'm like, there's some room here to kind of bring some programming. So um, I will sometimes, and that's how you and I met, I'm leading meditation in corporate settings. Um, I was pre-pandemic, sometimes doing team off-sites where we'd gather and actually, it was blended some mindfulness stuff, self-awareness, emotional intelligence with some leadership work as well too. And kind of sometimes goals that they had for their quarter gathering, that sort of thing. Um, And yeah, how it's changed in the pandemic now, you know, it's now we're all in these little boxes and we're in the space that we, yeah, that we work and we live is all really compressed. So um, I'm seeing in the corporate spaces um, a lot more companies reaching out um and also um more and more people showing up i i tend to kind of you know my audience tends to be people that are newer to meditation and i love that um and it usually is those people that are like i've never done this before you know so it's kind of like i'm getting a lot more of those people i think than i have in the past they're coming with a sense of curiosity um and also kind of a little bit of like some skepticism too i would say kind of a blend
0: You must love the companies that reach out to you that are wanting to incorporate mindfulness into their HR services. That must be like a big green flag for actually a company that you want to support, which I think is wonderful. And I actually have a number of clients who do HR work and I've, you know, asked them a couple of times, you know, what is it like for people right now? They're going through big transitions. So you are really in a very... Uh, wonderful role to be able to help those that maybe have never taken the time to develop yeah. strategies to help them evolve, to help them become resilient. So I don't think you necessarily understand the impact that you might be mm-hmm. having on people's lives that, especially when you mentioned programming, we are heavily programmed in this day and age. I mean, what are we being shown on our phones? That is designed for us to see things in a certain way. So Mm -hmm. I just think it's absolutely beautiful the work that you're doing so my question for you is i've been doing deep psychological work for the last 10 years with a fantastic psychologist she's actually relatively famous has worked with you know all sorts of people from all over the world for a very long time and so i'm very well versed in you know many types of meditation and i'm just really curious is there a particular style of meditation you prefer practicing on your own versus when you're teaching. Mm, yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, it, it, for the most part, I would say I'm at the point where I'm doing more open awareness practice. So, meaning that it's really just allowing kind of whatever's I'm noticing to just be there, you know, and kind of whatever grabs my attention, as long as it's in the present moment. Now, I'm sure you ladies both meditate, you both know, like, it's not about shutting the mind off. It's not like all of a sudden there's no thoughts. (laughs) We get lost in them. I get lost in them. And then it's like, you know, finding my way back. Um, But what I teach typically is more, you know, it's guided. It usually is instruction that, you know, helps people come back to a particular anchor. Um, Lately, I've been talking a lot about, you know, especially in the workplace, I, I, you know, the meditation piece. I talked about the embodiment. We talk a lot about using the body and in the workplace, we don't really talk about our bodies. And I know sometimes I'm just thinking about that. That could be a little bit like, what, why are we doing this? So I've been educating people that the reason why we come back to our body is that our body is always in the present moment. It doesn't have the ability to time travel like our mind does. So um, yeah, I tend to kind of work with whatever's in the environment.
0: Sure. So the way that I practice is body, mind, spirit, energy, all of that encompassing, whether you know it's interdimensional, whatever. I mean, we, the sky's the limit with this, but what do you do? So for example, what's your morning and evening routine? W- w- like, what does that look like? What yeah. does your specific practice look like?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Usually um, I start out on my mornings with it. Um, and there are days where sometimes I'm not able to sit in the morning because of whatever goes on. Um, so then I will make it an evening practice. Um, yeah, I have a same chair that I sit in. Um, I, you know, typically like to sit with my legs cross-legged. Um, I usually kind of do a little bit of like movement, rocking the body, whether it's a stretch, kind of, you know, getting into um kind of finding my zone. I also, the other thing too is um the ritual I like to kind of couple it with is uh drinking warm lemon water in the morning. So those are kind of two things. And that's the other thing I kind of tell people to do is create like those if-then habits. If I have my lemon water, that's a cue, then I will meditate. (laughs) So it's kind of like that conditioning. Um, And then I usually will allow the breath to become a little more expansive, get curious about what my breath feels like, if there's one particular place I'm noticing it the most. And then I – I don't know how to say it. I just kind of let myself – from the breath, wander on into whatever's right around me. So know? like how
0: long does your uh, personal practice like last, for example? I do 30 minutes.
2: There are some occasions where it's shorter. There's some occasions I played with like making it 45 minutes, but 30 minutes has been like the the good amount of time that I don't um, stray away from doing it.
0: Gotcha. And where are some of your favorite places to meditate and why. So for example, um, I personally love to find places in nature where I just feel like the energetics are slightly different than other places. Some people can definitely feel that a little bit more than others. So I'm just curious, uh, your take on the, the places where you meditate and why.
2: You said it, it's nature. Yeah, absolutely. There's a park just up the street from me. Um, I'm here in San Francisco, and I can see from this space um, Alcatraz and the Bay Bridge. And but it's a really special place. You look around, and there are just a variety of trees and flowers. Um, and so even before you know, I say I you know stop and meditate. It's kind of mindfully walking through that space and taking everything in through my senses from what I see through my sense of sight, but also what do I hear? What do I smell? Um, yeah, so you probably...
0: find that you can kind of meditate anywhere?
2: Yeah, I do. I do. And I think, you know, in that space, it's usually um, my eyes aren't closed. So I usually just kind of cast the gaze down a bit because it's an urban city environment. <laughs> it's a little bit hard, right? To just blindly close your eyes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it it's happens. it's crazy. Like for me to... Yeah get to that point where I can fully empty, I literally have to drive three hours out of cell reception in my Jeep, take my bear spray, my air horn, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, have all the gear and really have no um, sound of humans, right? So cars, dogs, airplanes, traffic, things like that. So that's a little extreme. And it's so different for everybody. But I've had to cultivate not having to do that because of certain restrictions. And so that's been interesting in my practice as well. I was just curious if you've kind of gone to those extremes where you have to take yourself out of certain situations in order to like really empty yourself Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: then be able to recharge your batteries, if you will.
2: Yeah. When you're talking about that, that's definitely like a retreat. I've done um, many like seven day um, has seven has been the most, but even like four days, um, Silent retreats, and they're at retreat centers, you know, that are fully in nature. Um, like you said, unplugged from um, modern society. I mean, that's includes giving up the phone. Um, it's an option, but I absolutely love it. That's the best part. It's like I know, no right?
0: EMFs or other people's yeah. EMFs or Wi Fi or Bluetooth. I'm like, oh, I feel so much better when that happens.
2: <laughs> and it's interesting then to notice the impulse of mm-hmm. the, you know, oh, I, you know, but. Why is that? Oh, I don't really need it. You know, and so kind of then it's like the deprogramming a little bit of everything that we do in a daily life. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, I certainly want to talk to you about the, you know, benefits, both physical and mental, of meditation. But first, I just had a question that I I've always like secretly wanted to ask a meditation teacher and have never had the like chutzpah to do, but I'm feeling the impulse right (laughs) now. So, as you know, I'm a biohacker and I love the idea of going out and just being able to drop in in nature. But I get a little help. So I've got about three devices that I use to create neurostimulation, bone conduction technology, binaural beats, like you name it, it is the cutting edge devices that like are supposed to help you get there fast. Yeah. So my question to you, and I'm going to ask you to answer openly and honestly, and I'm not going to ask you to speak for the entire meditation community but maybe you can give me a sense of what do meditation teachers really think about this? Do they think it's a watered down version of meditation Mm. and feel free to be open and transparent because no, don't hold anything back.
2: Yeah. No, I think that, you know, any meditation is good meditation. You know, I think that, um, you know, for some people, mindfulness is not, doesn't work, doesn't connect with them. Right. There's mantra based. There's so many different types Um, I think we're at the point now with technology and I haven't spent um, time dabbling in that area. When you and I talked, I was like, I am curious, Um, but I think people, you know, whether you are like, say you're data driven, or you just really want the feedback right away or to kind of see the statistics. Wonderful. You know, I think that, you know, if that helps you open the door and kind of find your way there, um, then I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, Now, Mindfulness definitely looks us where has us look at where we have attachments and where do we have aversion. So I think if it's like, okay, I can only meditate if I have this device, that might be something right where we're kind of overly rotated on it. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. And I think that, you know, the design of these devices, the intention might be pure, but mm-hmm. I do question the dependency that people, including myself, get, uh, you know, when it comes to needing these things to be able to reach that Zen-like state, right? Mm-hmm. So I just thought this was kind of, you know, a good jumping off point to really talk about why you're meditating to begin with. And mm-hmm. I think this is a great transition point to talk about some of the health benefits. I know you're a leading expert in this and I'd love for you to you know, really tell me about what are those physical changes we're gonna see and how long do you actually have to meditate? Do you need to be like a Buddhist monk meditating for 40 years like dave asprey in order to feel this impact or can yeah. can this happen in short, you know periods of time
0: or it's like you have to do cardio for at least 20 minutes before you start to burn fat <laughs> exactly
1: it's like we put these like set time parameters yeah. on ourselves but is that really the point Mm, right, right. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um,
2: When you look at like research, that has been done on the effects of mindfulness, um, meditation specifically, I mean, it's still fairly in its infancy stage, I think around like the late 90s is when you started to see a lot more research studies starting to take place. Um, The other thing I would say, too, and and I know a lot of my teachers have cautioned me and also in the teaching of it is that, you know, this isn't a cure-all, because, you know, there's sometimes that too, like, oh, you know, if I do this, then, you know, Which, if there was something that would cure everything, I think we'd know it by now.
0: (laughs) Or like that magic beauty cream that just all of a sudden gets everything age related overnight. Mm-mm. Yeah, just one application and you're good.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in the studies that they have done, they've seen, you know, positive effects, whether it be on our immune system, uh, whether it be on, you know, the heart rate. So, you know, finding our way out of a stress response um, and, you know, bringing down blood pressure. Um What's happening, what I I think, and I find really empowering, and I like to share with people, but what they're finding about what's happening to the brain is over time, um, the hippocampus, which is the area responsible for our memory and our learning center, that gray matter starts to expand. And then the amygdala, which you probably have heard of before, that's that fight or flight, also known as a reptilian brain. um, It's kind of like, look, there's danger. You know, and living in modern society, we kind of anxiety, worry, you know, and living in a pandemic year kind of brings us to that place. So consistent meditation over time starts to shrink that area. Mm. The other thing that happens, and that's right in here, is our prefrontal cortex. This is our area that helps us, you know, the more that we meditate this, I guess, the more, the stronger kind of essentially it becomes. And Apparently allowing...
0: mine is like super robust. <laughs> so I've been told.
2: Amazing. So yeah, it helps you, which you probably know, be a little bit more responsive than in reaction. It starts to kind of, you know, it's an impulse center. So you can kind of work with that a little bit. Um, So back to the question that you also had too, is like, how often do we have to do this? Um, You know, there are studies that show, you know, as long as there's consistency in the meditating, whether it be eight weeks over 16 weeks, um, varied, you know, I would say probably on the the larger, side up to 20 minutes a day, you can start to see the effects. So eight weeks, probably 20 minutes, 16 weeks, a little bit less time, um, which is, you know, something just like anything, you create a habit. It definitely, you know, over time will kind of compound and and start to kind of pay us back and the benefits. But, um, you know, I think more and more what I'm seeing is it's about the consistency and You know, that's the other point too. That a lot of times people think, okay, I'm going to do this and they go full on. I'm going to do 30 minutes a day and they have no experience. And typically, what happens is that they don't. And then they start to think that they're a failure and then it's too hard and they can't do it. So, starting off small, I think, is really big. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. And I will share that I have just personally, it might be nice for you guys to know this that I actually have two different ways that I meditate. And one of them is my morning and evening routine, definitely addressing body, mind, spirit, energy, part of me asking for clearing, asking for protection, asking for upgrade and also asking for grounding. So that's what I do morning and night. The first thing I do when I wake up and then right before I go to bed, that's how I drift off. The other way that I meditate is I listen to these really cool like two hour updates right so every month I work with a a fantastic psychologist every month she she puts out these two hour updates I literally go into this crazy altered state I'll wake up at the end of it it's like hypnosis I'm like what did I just listen to and then I'll listen to those same tracks like even two three times and I won't recall ever hearing that information but all I know is that I feel amazing so those are two hours and sometimes I'll even do two back to back and just a tip if you're Flying, listening to um, some type of guided meditation track can be uh, a really great way to just kind of like zonk out. I would always do that on flights. Mm -hmm. So I I thought it might be just helpful just to share what different practices can look like. And it can be anywhere from, you know, three minutes for me up to two hours times two. So, what are some of the physio- physiological benefits of meditating? And also, you know, feel free to nerd out a little bit. Well, this is the beauty of the biohacker podcast. Get super nerdy. Like, don't dumb it down. I really want <laughs> you to kind of get into like the the meat and bones of meditation. How we can all really benefit from it. You know, how often we talked about frequency of meditating. For me, I'm going to say morning and night at least twice a day. And the mm-hmm. funny thing is, I do want to ask you this, you know, what area of your life has changed the most as a result of meditation. And I will share that my aspects of life that improve with meditation, it's actually just the flow. And I find like just everything ends up working out for me in just the right way, just at the right time for me at that very moment. It's very mm-hmm. interesting to observe.
2: Yeah. When you said that, it resonates with me too. I think that it's over time for me, it's built, um, a deeper trust in whether you call it the universe, God, you know, wh- but also whatever. in our own inner guidance. Yeah. Yeah. And our own inner guidance too. It's like trusting. Yeah. That own experience and then kind of forces at play. Um, yeah, that's been huge. And I would think the other thing too, um, benefit that I've gotten as well is a sense of, um, compassion. Um, the one thing that I realized, you know, where I was finding that suffering of taking care of everybody else, there was something around not cultivating a sense of being my own best friend, essentially, is kind of what I've learned. And I would be so compassionate and, and say, yes, to all these things and do all these things for others, but wasn't doing that for me. And so, um, yeah, learning kind of just ways to take care of myself has been huge. Um, and I think that also shows up in relationships being able to, you know, be, there are those people, you know, we, we're human, you know, we all have those, you know, people that can kind of trigger us or to send us into a more reactionary place. Um, so being aware of that, you know, what are the cues in my body that, you know, kind of tell me that, you know, okay, I'm feeling that, right. And then to be able to take a pause, you know, find that, that place to kind of, you know, then come from a more balanced um, response. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the best response is none at all. <laughs> So it just, you know, depends over time.
0: I'm really curious if you have noticed some really interesting trends this year. And I do. I work with, you know, a pretty large patient Mm -hmm. population. And I've definitely noticed, you know, we have something covering our mouths all the time. I have observed absolutely a bit of an uptick in more nonverbal communication. So how awesome would it be if we had these workplaces Where we are so in tune with ourselves and in tune with others that we can actually pick up what our employees and our clients need before they even say it. So whether that would be, you know, developing some type of, you know, nonverbal mind reading or, or, (laughs) you know becoming more psychic if you will wouldn't that be the ideal workplace
2: oh my gosh amazing yes
0: (laughs) sorry to bring in the woo but that's my job
2: I love that um no you know yeah trends you know going back to us being in these little boxes um I am really aware that people are on camera quite often so I do and that's the other thing with the mindfulness piece I give a lot of choice so letting people know they actually can go off camera and they can do what they need to do to take care of themselves. Um, I know that's been met with a big sigh of relief. <laughs> um, and then, of course, there are those companies where they just the culture, not everybody comes on camera to begin with. Um, so I've noticed that. And then the other thing, and I, I really do think this is the humanness is, is coming in because now we're not just who I am at work. We actually are invited into each other's homes or online. And so now sometimes there's the kids that interrupt there the you know furry friends that we have you know and just and whatever like the life the messiness of life. And so I think we're starting to kind of see people's full humanness, you know, and um, and I know some people you know are working through some of that a feeling I've heard people you know tell me in some you know trainings in particular where they're like I feel like I'm failing. I'm not doing a good job, you know, um, as I was before. So a lot of this comparison, right? And so um, that's kind of trends I've noticed. And so, you know, in those moments, being able to to share, like, you know, are we doing our best? Because that was what counts, you know, let's not measure up to what, you know, our best was pre-pandemic, you know, like we have to, you know, invite in a little bit of grace
0: and a little bit of compassion and kindness towards ourselves. So I'm going to um, ask you a hard question. Yeah can we develop ESP in the workplace? Because that'd be pretty sweet. That'd be awesome. I don't it's know. like when my when one of my coworkers like makes me a cup of coffee. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. Or like doing tasks for <laughs> yeah. each other that we know someone's going to need some help with. Yeah. Like, is that something that you cultivate when you're doing mindful HR to allow us to take cues from others so that we can best serve them, and then in the you know reciprocity, they'll be able to best serve us as well.
2: Definitely. I mean, I think anything's possible. I would love to be a part of helping work towards that and seeing it be a reality in our corporate cultures. Um, and exactly what you were mentioning is really emotional intelligence, that ability to kind of, right. We're going to get there. The ability, yeah. Recognize it and to be a little bit more altruistic that we're not always about me, me, me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel the world is shifting. You know, some people are coming Just and like, right. Well, yeah. some people are like, Oh, I'm ready. But then there's some yeah. kicking and screaming <laughs> and then there's some that just really, it's not on the radar and that's okay. Right. We all kind of in our own time. Um, of course I always want to hit the fast forward button.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you mentioned was like, For a lot of people in the workplace, they feel like, you know, my home is now exposed and I'm not doing as great of a job. And a lot of it has to do with structure, right? There was a habitual nature to getting up, getting dressed, going to your workplace. And now that has dissipated for so many. So that being said, you bring structure in your 30 minute or hour-long meditation practices through Zoom. Do you find that that has been helpful in cultivating more people to come to you in this time than you normally would see, you know, out of a pandemic? Because I feel like there's people craving any type of structure they can get. Heck, they'll show yeah. up for meetings even if they don't. They're not even part of it. So, are you starting to see a shift of more people coming because they're looking for that?
2: I am yeah and that's been the silver lining um you know most of the individuals i am servicing had been in person and so now you know with it being online um a lot of these companies are global so they're opening it up you know inviting the whole company you know to to join um so that's been beautiful and you know different time zones um there's one person in particular i think about you know here i am teaching meditation on the west coast And it's 12 o'clock and this one individual, she's in India and it's bedtime and she's coming. Her workday is already over, but she's coming. It's a benefit through her work and she's coming to help unwind and she's finding the benefits of helping her sleep better. Um, So that's just been a huge benefit.
1: And I'm sure there's an element of connection too. You're not only providing guidance but a familiar voice and you're bringing a community together of people who all want the same exact thing you know when you go to a meeting it's there's a lot of differing voices and opinions but here everyone's coming because they are looking to cultivate their meditation practice so you know in some ways it's like the the best way to just get to that community is to show up you know
2: you're right the sense of community i think is huge i think the other thing um wasn't that I underestimated it, but I'm really seeing the value in hearing people say it is the silence mm. to just be and not have to say a darn thing, mm. you know? And so sometimes it's that silence at the beginning before, as we're waiting for people to join us, um, the gift of silence, you know, guiding, but just, and I, in, you know, you've said in my meditations of, you know, now I'm going to be silent for a few moments and let you kind of notice what you notice And that just, I think, allows people to really just drop in a little bit more. And the other thing, too, when people share sometimes at the very end, we start to realize that our experiences are actually the human experience. So it starts to normalize some of these feelings and some of the more negative discomfort feelings. Mm -hmm. And you realize I'm not alone because, you know, then there's those people that, the opposite of what i mentioned kids running in trying to homeschool well there's the people that are living alone and that are quite lonely sometimes mm-hmm.
1: and there's also that you know especially for people who are a little type a like myself this mm-hmm. constant judgment of yourself in the practice like mm-hmm. am i doing this right is everybody else like you know hearing these things am i am i not meditating in the right manner and so you start to go down that rabbit hole yeah. and In some ways, it's comforting to hear that you're not alone in the struggle of meditation. There are definitely a handful of days when I just feel like I've gotten in touch with myself and I feel like I've, you know, knocked it out of the park in, in meditation. And other (laughs) days I just can't even get past my own thoughts. So it's refreshing that you do open up people to share their thoughts because it's, you know, sometimes it's a struggle and it's, it's nice to know that you're in the same kind of, uh, company, I guess, so to speak.
0: Very true. Yeah. Would you say that people are meditating more or less, especially this year? I know for me, I have seriously had to upregulate how much meditation I'm doing in order to stay grounded, balanced, centered, and aligned in profound ways that I do need to. So I know for me personally, I have, and I'm just curious if you have, and also the clients that you work with.
2: Yeah, no, know for sure. I'm seeing, I mean, gosh, my mom and her friends in their seventies are certain. This is a the thing they thought, oh, I don't know about all that. Now they're open to it. <laughs> so I've seen that. Um, the regulation piece. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. You know, whether, you know, if I'm not meditating, you know, it's kind of being aware of when I'm feeling ungrounded. What are those practices I come back to? And one very simple, I was talking to a girlfriend. She's a single mom. And I was like, oh, I have no time. I was like, do you want, to t- you want me to tell you what my practice was today? It was lying on the ground, <laughs> literally on my back. I had my knees bent and I just wanted to feel the support of the knowing that the earth was somewhere below me. You know, and um, those walks that we talked about, um, taking a bath at night, I also find, too, as a way to kind of, you know, let go of the day that is really kind of nourishing napping.
0: <laughs> red light therapy actually really does it for me. For my evening baths, when I have my red light therapy going on, it's like mm-hmm. – Getting ready for the wind down for the end of the day. It's like Himalayan rock salt lamps everywhere. I think it's important to just spend a a hot second talking about getting ready for sleep, Mm
1: -hmm. which is one of the most important things that you can do for your health, by the way.
2: (laughs) Totally. And also, another favorite of mine, my bed just happens to be against the wall, is um, flipping, laying on my back and legs up the wall. So it's kind of that, you know, letting the blood flow back down towards the heart. But also it just is, again, kind of arms out, just kind of letting go and receiving. But yeah, we just send these little cues to our our bodies that, you know, now is a time to wind down, you know, getting rid of or not getting rid of, but definitely limiting the amount of blue light, whether it be on computers, smartphones, before Uh bed. That um, Ariana Huffington talks a lot about sleep kind of revolution and like what she's working towards and and hearing her speak, she's encouraged me to say that my phone does not live in my bedroom. It has its own little night, night spot in my living room. (laughs) And um, that's been a great ritual too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, If you're watching the video, I have like these crazy, awesome brand new blue blockers. They make my eyes look all red. It's pretty neat.
1: Well, Landra, before uh, we wrap things up, uh, I just want to thank you again for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come on our podcast. And we would be honored if you would just do a very short meditation for our listeners, just to kind of give them a preview of what your company and what you have to offer. And before we do that, can you just let us all know where we can find out more information about you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You can go to my website, which is uh, mindfulhr.com. Um, My email literally is Landra at MindfulHR.com.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, I think we should drop in right now. I'm feeling ready. And uh, yeah, thank you again so much. We have had just a blast talking with you about all things mindfulness and meditation. So I hope everyone enjoys this beautiful meditation by Landra.
2: All right. So um, looks like you're both seated. I would say find a comfortable way of being. You might kind of, you know, rock side to side until you eventually find a sense of equilibrium in your own body. And you can close your eyes or you can just softly focus your gaze on one thing. And noticing your feet touching the ground. All the points of contact of your body and the chair. And then take a couple of deep breaths, inhaling through the nostrils, and exhaling slowly, releasing. Just allow your breath to return to its own natural rhythm. And then bring in awareness to your physical body and just get the sense if there's any way or place you might be holding tension. And give yourself permission to relax your muscles. Sensing your shoulder blades melting down and back. Might even invite the next breath to be received in a softening belly. There's nothing to do and nowhere to be, but just to notice this moment. So you might be aware of the temperature of the room on your skin. maybe you notice a particular scent that fills the room. And drawing your awareness to your heart center and you might Imagine taking some deeper, fuller breaths from that space. And just checking in and noticing what it is that matters the most to you in this moment. Breathing in gratitude for making time in your day just to be, just to receive. And just take your time as you re-enter your space, noticing what you see around you. Even taking a stretch.
1: <laughs> wow, I must have been very busy today because I dropped right
2: in. Nice, <laughs> that was four, four minutes. So
0: you—that uh, was a record. Is that a
2: crystal bowl, by the way? <laughs> What's ah? Uh, it is a. Um, Gosh, what is it, like a singing bowl? Oops, here we go. a
1: Tibetan bowl. A Tibetan yeah. bowl. Oh, it's yeah, a
2: Tibetan. Yeah. that is my resonance.
1: My favorite part of class. It's just I I don't there's something about the sounds and the vibration. It just resonates with me, I guess.
2: That's the one thing I didn't mention. Lately, when I'm finding any sort of resistance to my practice, I've been doing um meditations with sound. Mm. Like on the sound bath yeah. that is like because, like, Rachel, what you were speaking with about that energy, those vibrations through the body, it's that—it's my favorite way lately, actually, to practice.
0: Actually, when I work in my office here, I'll always ding the bowl before – because I have a Tibetan bowl as well from, like, this fabulous yes. island where I live. And uh, sometimes – this might sound a bit woo to some people, but maybe not to others – when you have different bowls, you then sing to that frequency. But, yeah, I've been diving a ton into music, yeah. getting back to my – you know, playing guitar and getting back into our instruments, I feel like is something that like I've been playing guitar since I was 10, but you end up taking these hiatuses from these instruments that we've been playing for so long. Mm -hmm. And I just love to encourage everyone who's listening that if you have played an instrument before in the past and made you feel good, do more of that, do it again. Well, and also the great effects
2: it has too on our brain playing music. And like you said, you remembered it from the past. It just, it's there. Got to bring it back.
1: Yeah. Well, this has been such a pleasure and I thank you so much for all that you're doing for the meditation community. And, uh, Mm. we'll be sure to include links, for our listeners on how to find you and, uh, and yeah, thank you again so much, Landra. Yeah. Thank you both
2: so very much. It was a pleasure speaking with you and being a part of your podcast.